This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. The holidays are almost upon us. It's the time for glad tidings and joy, for giving gifts to all the people you love, and letting them know you care. But just make sure you don't end up going bankrupt in the process. Nearly half of all Canadians are within $200 of losing it all. It makes for some stressful times that can dampen any of that seasonal cheer. But fear not, because we have the woman who can help you save you from yourself now and for the rest of the year. This week, we're going to give you the gift of financial knowledge with the awesome Gail Vazoxlade. She's been helping people for decades and is here to give you tips for the holidays and beyond. I'm Jason the Germ Guy Tetra, and I'm going to help you and your bank account have a very happy holiday season. It's time to get started. This is the Super Awesome Science Show. They say the holiday season is the most wonderful time of the year. And it can be. But it also can be draining on your bank account. While we want to give ourselves and our loved ones the best experience to celebrate the season, we do tend to go overboard. In 2018, the average Canadian spent over $1,500 during this time, of which only 40% was spent on gifts. And not always for someone else. Almost half of that money was spent on travel. Another 15% went to entertainment. And let's not forget about our pets. They saw about 4% of the total cost. And if you think that's going to change, think again. When you look at the generational breakdown, it's the millennials who top the scale at anywhere between $1,800 and $2,250 per person, while the greatest generation isn't all that far behind. Their high value is just over $2,000. In the meantime, some 40% of all those in debt say it's because they are living beyond their means. Credit cards, impulse purchases, and social outings are some of the reasons, along with those larger purchases like cars and homes. Put it all together and you can see there's much to be concerned about. Debt load and expectations for spending are at odds, and unfortunately, the holiday spirit usually wins over financial demands. While it seems we are heading into a vortex of debt that may last for a generation or longer, there are ways to stay happy while keeping money in the bank. And there's no better person to tell us how to accomplish this than Gail Vazoxlade. You may know her as the host of the hit shows Till Debt Do Us Part, Princess, and Money Moron, but she has decades of experience in helping people manage their financial situation. She's here with us for the whole show. What inspired you to become, as you've been called, the super nanny for money? What happened was many, many years ago, I started as a human resource development consultant. 
I worked for a human resource development consultancy and we were teaching a lot about management theory and communication, stress management, all the stuff that goes into HR. And um, I wanted a raise. And my bosses said no, that I was making enough money. The only way I could make any more money was if I sold a program and I could make 20% of everything I sold. And if I wrote or delivered the program, I could make another 50%. And that was the only way I could make more money. And so I set about starting my career as a consultant proper as opposed to an admin person. And I won a contract that had me write a book on RRSPs, a training material, and it went swimmingly well. And that financial institution asked me to do it for every product that they sold. And so what would happen is they would ship me their marketing material. They would ship me their procedure manuals. I would just get boxes of information. And I had access to anybody I needed in terms of getting clarification. And I educated myself and then wrote the training in a self-paced format. So all the way along, I'm writing, 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 writing. And it went over in a really big way. And I went from there to doing it for several other financial institutions. Every time I did it, I had to start from scratch because it was proprietary to every institution. And after I had done, I don't know, seven or eight iterations, um, I wrote one for myself. It was called the RRSP Answer Book. And from there, I just, you know, just kept going. It just, I got magazine stuff. I got newspaper stuff. At one point, I had 27 columns a month. Oh, my goodness. That's incredible. You sound exactly like a researcher. We have projects. We go through the projects. We develop those projects. We move on to the next project. We take what we've mm-hmm. learned, but we've already we we mm-hmm. have to start from scratch. And now you and and you just grow and grow and grow. And before you know it, you've got twenty seven projects, or in your case, twenty seven columns. It's it's fascinating how you develop that. Well, the thing of it as well is that one of the reasons I'm so different with my money talk is that. First, my job was to break it down into its lowest pieces so that people could understand it because a lot of the people that were taking this training, it wasn't like they were all university educated, okay? And the second thing is that because I did all the products, I have a much more holistic approach to money than a lot of people because if you're an investment person, you focus on investments and if you're a lender, you focus on lending. But when you do them all, when you've been exposed to them all, and one of the chapters in every single booklet you ever wrote was (laughs) cross-selling, it's just automatic that you think about how everything's connected, right? So everything is connected, and I keep trying to impress upon people that the connectivity is what's important, and if you understand the connectivity, then you will know that you can't leave any pieces out because then you're sitting at a table with three legs and it's going to fall over. Can I use you to help un- people understand immunology? Because it's the same thing. It's all about connecting all the dots. <laughs> yes. Yes. Of course. Um, you might be the super nanny, but you're by no means a Mary Poppins. And when you start looking no. at the shows you had, Till Death Do Us Part, which was nine seasons, I was a, a loyal fan of that. Princess, which quite honestly was just sort of one of those guilty pleasures to watch. And the last one, right. Money Moron, which 
I don't even yeah. know how you came up with the name, but it was just brilliant. Because I used to call people money morons when they were doing the wrong things. I'd say, you're a money moron. And when they needed a name for the show, and we got a lot of pushback on the name because a lot of people said, you can't use the word moron. And I said, mm, yes, I can. <laughs> yeah. You're the super nanny. You can use whatever name you want. But how Any easy, word I want. That's right. Exactly. How easy was it to find people who were having difficulties to, to last nine seasons for, for one show and, and several seasons for the others? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was challenging. It was challenging in terms of meeting the expectations of the broadcaster, as well as finding the right mix of person who had problems that could be solved and enough of a problem to make a good story. Because, you know, from time to time, people would write to me and say, I don't understand why you give all those people $5,000. Why don't you give that money to someone who's doing the right things with their money? And I would write back to them and I'd say, because you don't have a story. Mm, That's a good point. Yes. Okay. It's all about the story. And it's one of the things that made, probably makes me the proudest of the TV shows that I have done. They have opened up the conversation about money. Before I did Till Death Do Us Part, nobody was talking about money. Not the way I was talking about money. They were talking about investing. They were talking about the need for insurance. They were talking about estate planning. But nobody was talking about cash flow management, budgeting, debt management, and debt repayment in any serious way. Which, unfortunately, is one of the biggest problems that we face even today. We have more people facing bankruptcy. We have layoffs happening everywhere. I know that you are retired, but we need you back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm coming back for a minute and a half. Okay, I'm going to come back for a minute and a half and try and help. Uh, The thing is, is that one of the reasons I left was I got very frustrated that I had been saying the same thing over and over and over and over again, and people were just ignoring it. And what's occurred to me as I have had all this time off is that as much as anything, it was probably my own fault. That being said, you can't start at A and go to Z with this. People don't want to do the hard work up front. Okay? It's too imposing. It's too frightening. So I used to do all that work for couples when I was on television, and I would deliver it to them, and they would just about, you know, have a caca on the floor right beside me. (laughs) Makes sense. But when I tried to get people to do it for themselves, they pushed back really hard. They don't want to do it. So this time, which is why I'm doing it on Twitter, this time I'm, I'm sending it out in itty bitty teeny pieces and I'm doing it highly experientially as opposed to theoretically or, you know, it's going to be highly experiential. It's going to be fascinating. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, but... I do mm-hmm. want to ask you one thing. When mm-hmm. we see people going into debt, mm-hmm. there are several psychological reasons that are always brought up. One happens mm-hmm. to be the idea of the shiny object syndrome. Another mm-hmm. one suggests that it has to do with status. You want to raise your status from where you happen to be. Yep. And then there's one that just simply says that we're all victims of really good marketing. Over the years, have you seen sort of all three or is there one that predominates? No, Uh, I have seen all three and 
very often I get asked, you know, is there any socioeconomic difference? And I go, nope. I've seen rich people who are up to their eyeballs in debt, and I've seen poor people who are up to their eyeballs in debt. I can't help poor if you don't make enough money. I can't fix that for you. But if you're making enough money and you're just spending it badly, you're broke. And that I can deal with. So there's no difference between men and women. There are just as many stupid women as there are stupid men when it comes to their money. Um, and when you talk about shiny object syndrome or status or um, being victims of marketing, it all falls under this whole idea that I want it all and I want it now. And you can have it all, but you can't have it all at the same time. So I am now 60. Okay. And when I look back on my life, I've been saying this since I was in my twenties. I've been saying you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. When I look back now, uh, it's, it's clear that that is in fact what the problem has been all along is that people think they can have it all. And right now, which is how you get somebody who graduates from university with a crap load of debt, wants to buy a house, wants to have a baby, uh, wants to drive a new car, and wants to take vacations twice a year. I want it all, and I want it right now. And I know people who are like that. Uh, I still remember one case where they had a mortgage that they could barely pay off, and yet they were Mm -hmm. taking their Christmas vacation to some southern resort, and I was wondering how they were paying for it, and it turns out they just got another credit card. Because That's what they did, yes. You, you, can, you can get approved for pretty much any kind of credit card. And all I'm thinking is, yes. you don't need to be a scientist to realize that's probably a bad thing to do, but that's what they were yes. doing. So the thing is, is that, yes, they will. As we have now witnessed, for the last 10 years, banks have been handing out money uh, in the form of credit to people who they know will not be able to pay it back. However, they will make so much money in interest before that person defaults that they will have made their money back twice. Imagine being snug in your bed while plum fairies dance in your head. You have no need to worry about financial trouble because you did everything right and you're not on the debt bubble. This is a dream I have and I'm sure you do too. It's actually not all that hard as Gail is about to show. We just need some control over our spending habits instead of always wishing on a wing and a prayer. What is it about Christmas or any holiday season for that matter that makes us seemingly go blind to our financial situation? Part of it is expectation. Uh, You know, our families have expectations about what we'll eat, what we'll wear, whose house we'll go to, and how many presents we'll bring. So that's part of it, is that we want to, it's the status thing, okay? We want to make sure we maintain our status within our family, okay? The other thing is, is that everybody likes a good reason to go spend money. Spending money feels good. It feels great. When you go out and you, you know, you find that perfect present for your mom, or you find that fabulous present for your mate, or you you know your kid wants this so badly that you are prepared to line up for 24 hours to get in the store on time so you can get the last one. That is all about spending money. <laughs> it's all about feeling good. It's like a oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> it, it reminds me so much of a drug. 
And and I'm wondering, is it just simply that the drug is a bit better when we start getting into the holiday spirit? Um, no, it's just that we've been given permission because Christmas time is shopping time. It's like birthday time is shopping time. So we don't now have to justify why we're going to the mall. We can just go to the mall. And inevitably, you go to the mall to do your Christmas shop and you walk out with one bag for everybody else and one bag for yourself. So it's it really is hardwired into us then as we're growing older that there are certain times of the year where we are allowed to ignore the rules. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's dangerous. Just before the new year when the bill comes in and everybody goes, oh my God, now what am I going to do? Well, how do you prepare well, for that? Well, how do you get yourself well, ready for that easy. January headache or, oh. or, or whatever when well, it's coming in? Let's, let's not start with a January headache. Let's start in January and prepare for Christmas. Okay? And what you do is you look at what you spent and you say, okay, so I spent, for argument's sake, $1,200 so starting January, I have to put $100 a month away because I know I'm going to spend $1,200 in December. I, it's called planned spending. Everything, we're going to spend our money, okay? The only money we're not going to spend is the 6 10 or 18% we have to save, all right, depending on when you start. Right. Everything else we're going to spend. We're going to spend it all. So the, the thing is, is not to spend it uh, reactively, but to spend it proactively. So you decide that, you know, this is what you're going to buy for people. So for example, several years ago, I stopped buying stuff. Okay. Nobody gets stuff from me. Very, very little in the way of stuff. Almost everything I buy now is got consumable. If I give a lot of consumables to people, then I am adding value to their lives without piling stuff into their cupboards because they will eat the cookies. They will drink the wine. They will partake of the spice mix that I create in my own kitchen for them. Um, You know, all of that stuff needs to focus on joy instead of acquisition. But then how do you combat that need for acquisition when you have... Black Friday or Boxing Day sales where they have these humongous advertisements about how much you're going to save. And you know that if you just get up at four in the morning, you know that you're going to get in line. Yep. So the first thing is, is that uh, if you leave yourself open to the marketing, then you are going to get caught like a fish on a hook because the marketing is exquisite. Okay, the marketing is splendid. You know, they can make anything into our shopping expedition. Look at all the people who take up hobbies and their main time is spent shopping for those hobbies. Like people who participate in certain sports and always have to be buying the latest in Lycra. Or people who like to scrapbook and they're always buying the latest that's available to them in terms of scrapbooking supplies. So we turn activities that are supposed to bring us pleasure into more reasons to shop. And then you add on top of that, the fact that you've given yourself permission because it's that time of year. And before you know it, you have this combinatorial effect that essentially leaves your wallet empty and craving for something. Yes, exactly right. If there is a way for the listener to prepare for the coming weeks ahead where shopping is going to be 
front and center, mm-hmm. other than simply avoidance of the marketing of what they're seeing, is there anything else that they can do sort of psychologically? Is there any kind of meditation that the super nanny can offer <laughs> that will help them to so what, avoid? First of all, I see that people okay, get some envelopes and write the name of the person you are going to be shopping for. So you'll have an envelope for, you can have an envelope for mom and dad, you can have an envelope for each of the kids, you can have an envelope for your brother and sister together or separately, depending on how you gift. And you decide what it is you want to spend on them and you put that amount of money in those envelopes and you have an idea of what you want to buy them and maybe you put those, you make that as a list on the front of the envelope and that's it. You walk into the store and they have the most fabulous sweaters, buy one, get one, 50% off and you buy one. Even I'm thinking, oh, I don't know if I could do that. See? Yeah. You buy one. So, you know, my daughter and I were talking about this today. We were talking about how stores trick you into doing things. And I talk about the fact that I go to a supermarket where they often have things two for $5. But if you buy one, you only pay $2.50. It's like there's no discount. (laughs) (laughs) True. But because it's two for $5, everybody picks up two. I mean, the, the BOGO concept, which is what this is, it's really a reflection of FOMO, the fear of missing out. Because yes. if you don't pick it up now and get those two, then maybe yes. down the road, it's still going to be 250 but you're only going to get one. So the, the whole thing about fear of missing out stems from a lack of self-concept. Your self-concept isn't strong. Okay, so what you're looking for is you're looking to shore yourself up with the stuff that you're buying. So if your sister and her husband and your brother and his wife go on a vacation every year to Mexico and you do not go on a vacation every year to Mexico and you're not okay with that, then it becomes painful. If what you say instead is, yeah, but when they're crying poor at 65, I'm going to be sitting in my nice little house. You think about it in terms of what you need, not in terms of what's missing from your life. It's Ask Class time, and today we're going to find out how you can get involved with Gail's newest venture, a masterclass on Twitter. That's right. She's conquered books, radio, and television, and now she's going to take over social media with her financial knowledge. All you need to do is follow her at Gail Vazoxlade, and you'll be all set to learn about how to keep your own finances in order. And considering it starts in January, I have a feeling we're all going to need her. What's the first thing every one of us should do to start keeping track of our finances? Probably the thing that is most eye-opening is tracking your money and then posting that into your budget every month. And the, the problem people have is that they say, but I don't like doing that. You, you, Gail, you like doing that. And I say to them over and over again, I don't know what gives you the idea that I like this because I don't particularly like it. I just do it the same way I brush my teeth every morning. Okay, it's part of my routine. It's a habit. And if you make habit your friend, 
it works great. So if you start tracking what you're spending and then you post it against what you were supposed to have spent and you see how far off you are, you get a huge wake-up call. And my, my favorite example of this is the grocery shop. Okay, because routinely I watched people make a budget, reach up into the stratosphere and grab a number and just shove it onto their grocery line. And then they'd go to the store and do exactly what they'd always done, which means they spent more money than they had planned. And then they would turn to me and say, see, the budget doesn't work. This wasn't the budget. It was the bad information that went into it. And considering you're actually talking about something where you're supposed to have a shopping list, that does not bode particularly well. Which leads me to my next question, which is how much should we be banking, keeping aside, whether it be for a rainy day or considering climate change, tornado days? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, So the rule of thumb is to have six months worth of essential expenses stuck away somewhere in cash so that when the caca hits a fan, you have a way to cope because if you have money in the bank, you have options. If you just, just think for a moment about walking out of your house without your wallet and how insecure you feel all day because you don't have your wallet. You don't have two quarters to rub together. And all day, that's all you can think about because you might have to get gas. What would happen if your car broke down? You know, there are all these things that will go through your mind. And yet... <laughs> We'll do it with our money, big picture, right? Right. We, we don't want to have to put outside that money. And so we skate through life with no emergency fund. And then when stuff, bad stuff happens, we turn around and we say, well, you know what? I'll use my line of credit or I'll use my credit card. And by the way, our wonderful financial services sector has done us no favor by convincing us that a line of credit is a good use for an emergency fund. Mm-hmm. Is that also why then you say that when you're buying, you should always use cash and that mm-hmm. the, the idea of credit is really just being sucked into that system we were talking about earlier? Yes. As I mentioned earlier, when you spend money, you get a rush. It affects your brain. You get a rush. When you pay with cash, you get pain and the pain offsets the rush and so you're balanced. But... If you use plastic, you don't get the pain because you aren't actually parking with any money on the spot. All you're doing is signing your name. If you use a spending journal and when you use your credit, you immediately deduct the money you just spent from your existing balance. Now you feel the pain. That's okay. But if you just use plastic and then wait for the bill to come in at the end of the month, what you're doing is deferring the pain. And by the time the pain comes, you can't remember why. You're feeling this pain. You only know this is hard and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to pay this off in full. You're sounding a little less like a super nanny and more like one of those martial arts senseis because it seems like everything beneficial has to hurt. Is it really Mm -hmm. that sort of give and take between the joy, the high that comes from buying and the pain that comes from losing your money? It is that simple. And... Our reality is that up until fairly recently, historically, because credit cards did not come to Canada till the 80s, okay? So they've only been around for 40 years. Look at the damage we've done to ourselves in the last 20 years. Because in the early days, not everybody could get a credit card. They were very careful who they gave those credit cards to, and they did not sell lines of credit like they do now. 
right? You had to be worthy of those things. So they only gave them to really smart people that knew how to use them. And then they started to give them to everybody, people that had no experience and were working on the assumption that the old rules still apply so the bank wouldn't give me this if they didn't think I could pay it back. I don't know if that really is going to catch on. I mean, you've been doing this for a very, very long time. (laughs) I have been. Okay, so in my defense, (laughs) there are a lot of people that have written to me to say thank you. Thank you because I'm good. And I'm good because I listened to what you said and I implemented it. I just got a letter from a young lady in Alberta. And I've been a little hard on Alberta recently. So Alberta people (laughs) are not very happy with me. But I got a letter from a, a young lady in Alberta who's 27 years old and wrote to me to say, I own my own home. This is the career I chose. This is the reason I'm in such good shape. Thank you so much. I've gotten letters from people in Australia. I got a letter from a woman in South Africa, like all over the world, wherever people have had exposure to it, those people that are prepared to defer some gratification have taken what I've given them and used it like tools. And I'd like to point out that any financial product you use is like a hammer or a screwdriver. If I take my screwdriver and I shove it into the electrical outlet, I am going to kill myself. Okay? (laughs) Okay. It's not the screwdriver's fault. The screwdriver didn't make me do that. No, it did not. But the credit card, yeah, nobody makes me spend the money on the credit card. It might surprise you to know that I put every single thing I buy on my credit card. Every single thing I buy, I put on my credit card. Wow. That's incredible. And then I come home and I write it in my spending journal. And when the end of the month, when the bill comes in, I have all the money already deducted out of my account in my head, right? In my spending journal, I have all the money already deducted. So I can't spend the same money twice, which is the biggest problem with plastic. So as we said earlier, you are coming out of retirement for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you're going to be holding a master class on, of all Mm -hmm. things, Twitter. Now, if people are going to be following along, I don't think that they're going to have to pay some tuition or registration fee, but that's not what this is about. This is about giving to help other people so that you can learn how to help yourself, right? That's right. The, The way I am compensated is that wherever you live in Canada or the U.S., if you're paying attention from the U.S., wherever you live, you're going to find a woman's shelter in your community And if they don't have one, you'll go to the food bank and you're going to make a donation as your payment to me. I really hope that people can get involved in this masterclass and find a way to not only show you that we still love you out here and we still want you to be part of our world, but that maybe, just maybe down the line, we can get you back on television or back on the radio and helping out everybody yet again to find an answer to our financial problems because we need you more than ever. Well, and what I want is I want for people to realize that what I'm talking about is not hard. It's not particularly complicated. It does require that you have some gumption. If you don't have stick to it's easy to give up because it takes, you know, they talk about, forming a habit in 28 days, I never was able to form a habit in 28 days, okay? No matter what I tried, it never worked. (laughs) 
it needs to be something I am committed to doing. Never mind forming the habits. That's why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I'm committed to actually doing this thing, managing my money. And I say to people all the time, I mean, you work so hard. You drag your sorry little butt out of bed in the middle of a snowstorm to go to work, to make the money. Why would you not spend a minute and a half watching what you're doing with it so you don't end up just sending it up in smoke? Well, that's it for this week's Askcast. I hope, hope, hope it will help you stay happy and financially stable throughout the holiday season and into 2020. And on that note, we're going to take a break for a few weeks to rest up, and we'll be back in the new year with some brand new and awesome shows. For Curious Cast, this is the Super Awesome Science Show. We do want to thank everyone who has been listening because your support is overwhelming. And if you are just finding us today, please check out our episodes on some of the other problems we have over the holidays, such as sharing stress, sleep disturbances, and how to tell if someone is lying to you, or at least really didn't like your gift. We want to show our gratitude by taking your questions and answering them on the show, usually in the form of themes. We're now into our second year and we are more focused on what you want to hear. Send me a tweet at JATetro or an email at thegermguy at gmail.com. And if you haven't already, make sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps to spread the word and get more people to find the podcast. We're available at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere you get your streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Make sure to check out the show notes for more information about what you heard today and links to all of our guests. The award-winning Super Awesome Science Show is written and hosted by me, Jason Tetro. Dila Velasquez is our story producer, and sound design and final production is by Rob Johnston. Have a great week, holiday season, and let's welcome 2020 the same way we had fun all through 2019. By showing them some sass. 